1: i'm mark haywood alongside charles scott he is a fiduciary advisor at peloton capital management serving you in scottsdale find him online at pelotoncapital.com that's pelotoncapital.com or you can reach out call the office 480-513-1830 that's 480-513-1830 charles hello welcome to the show it is finally december everybody's favorite time of year December's a blast.
0: We have fun at our house. It's busy, busy, busy. And, you know, my wife decorates like crazy and she's collected Christmas stuff for 50 years. So we've got a gob of stuff, but it's fun. So, you know, I, it's hard to have not to have fun that time of year, to be honest, unless you really try. And sometimes I get grumpy and she brings out my bah humbug pillow and then I get better because <laughs> I have to be reminded of that once in a while.
1: It is. It's a wonderful season. Great time with friends and family. And I believe I told you on the last podcast we did back in November that my decorations have been up. My wife said the day after Halloween, hey, this weekend they're going up. So I've had them up for a while now. Always a blast. It is probably one of my favorite times of year. And my birthday is this month. Shout out to myself if I'm allowed to do that on the podcast. So an exciting time it certainly is great time of year well let's dive into the podcast today we've got a couple of interesting topics we want to cover let's kick it off with a question from the mailbag it's time for the mailbag we want to hear from you This week's question comes to us from Chase in Glendale. Chase says, a family member from another state told me I need to make sure I find a fiduciary financial advisor to help me plan my retirement, but he couldn't tell me how to identify ones that are indeed fiduciary. Is there a certain designation or do you guys wear a fiduciary badge to identify yourselves? Help him out, Charles.
0: Yeah, I should have a baseball cap or something that says I am a fiduciary, but we don't. But The easy question, Chase, is ask them. Are you a fiduciary? Do you act in a fiduciary capacity to me in everything you do for me? Because a fiduciary standard of care is the highest standard of care in the financial services world. And we're called on to always do what's in the client's best interest, not our best interest, the client's best interest. I'm an accredited investment fiduciary. And I have been for years and years and years. In fact, I think I was the third person in the state of Arizona to get the designation of that AIF, accredited investment fiduciary. But just ask them because people will tell you, yes, they are or no, they're not. And if they hem and haw around, then they're not. And if they try to deflect the question, then they're not a fiduciary. And here's an interesting twist on this whole thing. And this gets way down in sort of the weeds of how designations and what responsibilities those of us in the financial planning and investment world have. And that centers around the certified financial planner badge of CFP. You can be a CFP and be absolutely a fiduciary all the time. You can also be a CFP and only be a fiduciary some of the time, which makes no sense to me, but that's the way it works. If I am a CFP and I work for Edward Jones, I'm not picking on him, just I'll mention Edward Jones. If I'm doing financial planning, I am a fiduciary. If I'm doing investment for the client, I'm not. So it's a gigantic, confusing area for the public because they don't know. How do I ask? Just ask them to be sure, but understand that a fiduciary has to always do what's in the client's best interest, always, not just some of the time. So just be point blank about it. And again, if they don't have a good answer, if they don't tell you or they want to dodge the question in any way, shape, or form, then they're not a fiduciary. Doesn't mean they're bad, it just means they don't have to act in your best interest. So it's one of the more confusing parts of the whole financial services world as far as I'm concerned. But we have said ever since I went out on my own and became an independent advisor, that I am a fiduciary. I just flat out am. I have to do what's in their best interest, period. And there's no equivocation about that. There is no Yeah, but maybe not in this circumstance. That just doesn't happen. It's really black and white, period. I'm a bit persnickety about this whole topic, but it's a critical thing to know. Is the guy working for me or is the guy working for the company that is paying him? So we just work for our clients. That's what we do. For us, it's the easiest way to do business and certainly the best.
1: Well, thank you for writing in, Chase. We're Glad to hear from you as always. Love hearing questions from our listeners. Let's dive now into the main part of our show here, Charles. I want to talk about some of the questions that we ask our financial advisors and some of the financial questions we even just have ourselves. It's so often that... We have all sorts of questions about retirement, about our retirement plan, but maybe we're asking the wrong questions instead of the right ones. So let's just kind of go through some of the common questions that you get as an advisor, talk about why they're the wrong question, and maybe offer us a better solution instead. As an example, somebody comes to you and they say, how much money do I need to have saved in order to retire? That's an incredibly popular question, but it might be the wrong question. Why is that?
0: Well, I think, any question is a good question because there are no dumb questions, but a better way to put it might be how much income will I need and how much will my current savings or investments give me? It comes back to something we talk about fairly regularly, and that's having a spending plan, knowing exactly how much you spend, how much you take in, whether you're retired or working or whatever, how much money's coming in, how much money is going out and where it goes. If you're through working and it's just retirement income then there's a couple of ways to look at it from a mathematical point of view. One is the old 4% withdrawal rule of thumb. Some people call it a rule. It's not a rule. If you've listened to previous podcasts, I've said it. It's not a rule. It's just the 4% number was created a long time ago with the idea of if you take that much out of your portfolio in any given year, the probability is you won't run out of money ever. But that was before we had the crash in 2000 and 2008, which changed the math completely. But that's not a bad idea. It's a place to think about and see how does that work? Do you have enough assets that if you take 4% out every year that they will ideally grow a little faster than that so you won't run out of money? The other number that comes to mind is when you reach age 70 and a half, you have to take out required minimum distributions. And that first year's required minimum distribution is about 3.65%. So we're in that same ballpark kind of thing But that's a place to look. You've got to do the math and you have to know whether those dollars that are going to come to you in retirement are going to be guaranteed dollars or if they're going to have some kind of a bit of market risk depending on fluctuating, you know, either stock market returns or bond market returns. So again, it's having a plan, it's doing the math, and it's knowing this is what I'm going to need. And I do or I don't have enough to meet that need. But, you know, again, that's a good question. We have to ask more questions from our side to get to the core of the issue. And that's, you know, a lot of what we do. Just try to get you to think in a different way and ask better questions. And we certainly want to ask questions all the time. So looking for the same outcome, just asking the question in a different
1: way. All right, Charles, another question that we often ask that may not be the best question, as you put it, where can I pay the lowest fees for financial advice? My mom
0: used to say, you get what you pay for. And I'm not saying that you should be overcharged in fees, but the lowest fees, not necessarily the best fee. What are you getting for what you're paying? That ends up being a critical question because, you know, we don't do this for free. We can't afford to, to be perfectly candid. And you know, it's our career. That's what we've chosen to do. Are you getting additional services above and beyond what you're paying for investment fees? Are they really doing comprehensive planning for you? Are they coordinating all of this stuff? Are they your financial quarterback? if you will, your personal CFO, you can term it anything you want to. And that has to get built into the fees that get charged. If you look at just from a pure investment point of view, I'll pick on Vanguard because I like them and I use them sometimes, but they have done a phenomenal job of saying that the lowest fee is the best fee. And in many cases, they were for years the lowest fee in the mutual fund world. Their management fees were the lowest. The other part of this, though, is... When you report mutual fund performance, your performance numbers are net of all the fees and expenses. So, a lower fee is a lower fee. But if you're underperforming and somebody that charges a higher fee is actually doing better, it really doesn't make any difference. So, I think it's the services that you get, the other advice that you get, that's what has to get factored into the fees. And that needs to be explained. You need to ask the question and you need to get a good explanation from the planner or the advisor that you're talking to. Because we do a lot of stuff above and beyond just managing your investments. A lot of stuff that is built into the fees that we charge. And we explain that to clients. There's a bunch of other planning services that we provide. So again, good question. Just maybe a better way to phrase it. So,
1: All right, Charles. And one more question that we often ask, but isn't always the best question. What can I do to pay less in taxes this year?
0: The tax question, as we get to the end of the year, some, there's a lot of tax planning that can go on. That's certainly a viable thing to be looking at, but there is nothing wrong with trying to reduce your taxes right now in the present. And a better way to phrase it might be, how can I save money on taxes in future years, maybe even for the rest of your life? And that's something that we've been working on a lot lately is helping people divorce, if they will, their retirement partner, which is the IRS. You ought to be looking at it from that point of view. Can I take a dollar today that's going to be taxed later because I'm tax deferring it? And can I pay that tax today? Because our contention is current taxes, tax rates are the lowest they've been in years and years and years. We think they're on sale, if you will. It's our expectation and a realistic expectation, in our opinion, that tax rates in the future are going to go up. If tax rates in the future are going to go up, then why not pay a lower tax today? Get it over with and never have to pay it again you know, a dollar that you pay tax on today that grows to three or four dollars in the future will never be taxed again. But if you don't do it, if you just defer that dollar till some point in the future, when you take those three or four dollars out, you're going to get taxed. So you've paid a lower tax today, you've given it an opportunity to grow. And, you know, to us, that just makes sense. And a lot of that could be, you know, the Roth conversion concept is one that obviously comes to mind. Let's not obsess on the tax today, let's worry more about the future taxes, because ideally, those assets that you have today will be worth a heck of a lot more in the future. And so if we could eliminate the taxes on them now, way better, in our opinion, way better plan for going forward. So tax questions are always interesting questions. Tax planning ends up being, again, a critical component of some of the planning that we do for people.
1: Well, thank you, as always, Charles, for joining us on the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to Charles Scott and the team at Peloton Capital Management, get answers to some of your questions, get answers to tax questions. Make sure you're asking the right financial questions and get a plan in place that'll take you not just to retirement, but all the way through retirement. You can reach out to Charles and the team by calling 480-513-1830. That's 480 513 1830 or you can find them online at Pelotoncapital.com. That's Pelotoncapital.com. Charles, as always, it's been a pleasure.
0: It's always fun, Mark. I appreciate it. And you know, it's great to be able to answer some of the questions that people ask and provide hopefully some useful information. <laughs> for
1: them. Always useful information, if not some fodder thrown in along the way. Always a blast. We'll do it again next time on another edition of Financial Choices Math.